Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, culture, and uh, and theology uh, in our life and culture for the sake of the church. Uh, and we're back here with a full cast and crew, Matt Anderson, Andrew Wilson, Alistair Roberts. We took a bit of a break. We've had some technical difficulties, i.e. Matt's computer has been broken for a bit, um, but we're, we're love to be back. And today we're going to be talking kind of taking a little bit of a year-end recap and thinking about Christmas cheer. Now, this was Matt's idea, and so I'm going to let him explain what we mean by Christmas cheer and why we're going to be talking about it for the next half hour. Matt? Well, look, I I don't even actually want to talk about Christmas cheer, Derek. You have so misunderstood my idea. I would like to be cheerful. <laughs> That's what I would like to be for the next half an hour. I was so in the dark, um, I just handed it over to Matt because what? You know, that's right. We <laughs> Look. It's it's been a rough year. Everyone has this sense that this year was really hard. We had ISIS, we had Ebola, um, we now have we look, North Korea has taken away the interview from so many teenage boys. It's what such a bleak ending. I- to the I year really, for so many young men. I'm, I'm upset about that one. I didn't care about the movie previously, you know, but now I feel robbed. That's right. So, 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 but look, Christmas is the coziest holiday of the year. It's the most cheerful holiday of the year. And um, I think it's an appropriate season or, or it's an appropriate time to think about the things in our lives that just make us cheerful. And cheerful is an interesting quality. It's not outright joyous. Um, it's just, there's a sort of levity to cheerfulness, um, a, a sort of lightheartedness. And so as I was thinking about things this year that made me cheerful, um, the first thing that came to mind um, was a kind of cheerfulness that comes when you think that you might meet Jesus every, any, any moment um, because you might just die. And um, the, the nearest I came to that this year was actually riding with you, Derek. Um, listeners at home, I, I just want you to know, um, Derek drove Andrew Wilson and I around San Diego. <laughs> and it was, it was the most terrifying experience I think I've had in, about, in a long time. Um, he, he's a very thoughtful person. He's also a very... Um, almost distractible person and it makes driving with him just a a constant sort of adventure where at any moment you might just plow into someone or you might be plowed into and you just you just never know what's gonna happen and so you just think the whole time i'm gonna see jesus (laughs) it was great my defense we were in San Diego, which was a different city that I'm used to. And B, I was driving my dad's minivan. And I'll just say, it's a great car, but it handles a little looser than my crappy Altima does. And so, you know, it, if things were a little bit different on my own safe turf, then, you know, driving with me is a little I'm going less to offer cheerful. a strong rebuttal to that claim, Derek, on the basis that it had nothing whatsoever <laughs> to do with the city and nothing whatsoever to do with the car. 
And I want to do with three habits you have that I've never seen other drivers do. One of them is yeah, you yeah, being yeah, forward Andrew, 45 Andrew. degrees. You're sitting sitting in the seat at 45 degrees forwards, which means you can only look out of one mirror or the windscreen, but you can't do both at the same time, which is the reason a car is designed the way it is. The second is that you drive the wrong way down one-way streets on a regular basis. You do that three twice in the space of five minutes. And that's dangerous. It's got nothing to do with the handling of the car. I did and that once. And the third once. is that if you, if you decide you've gone the wrong way, instead of going, oh, I missed it, I'll go around and try again, you just go, oh, shoot and then just lean across three lanes to try and cut across and get off the exit you wanted okay even if, whether it's safe okay off. and so we, i think those that the nexus of factors is more to do with it than the, than the vehicle or anything else we have lost i would i would also like to point out i would also like to point out that um, we have lost all uh, all pensions for english british understatement here this is exaggeration <laughs> on a mediterranean level okay <laughs> the, because let me I, I need uh, to rebut there, there was actually there was actually Derek I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you here there was actually one moment listeners just need to know where um uh Derek is also just and he's com comfortable with this he's confident he doesn't mind the world knowing but he's not very good at parallel parking oh no I don't care and about so that and so we were going out to dinner parallel parking and is weird and I actually ended up parallel, parallel parking, parking the van for him okay you know, but I'm let just me go saying, back. Let me this go back. is all very cheerful. This is one of the happiest things me, that's happened. Let me go back here. <laughs> to me in a long time. <laughs> let me go back here. <laughs> because Andrew has raised two points that, that actually affirm my case. The whole, oh, I missed the exit thing. That's because San Diego freeways are weird and I'm not used to them. And two, the, the one-way street thing. I'm not used to cities with one-way streets in them. I live in the <laughs> suburbs, okay? So suburbs are cleanly laid out such that there is two ways going in, in, in on every street. So the fact that I happened to miss one once and had to pull a Yui, you know, that's, that is directly attributable to the fact that we were in a, in a different foreign city. So let's move on to what made others cheerful so i've got one and it's and it's of the same trip all right i shouldn't be retaliatory in my cheerfulness that's kind of, that's kind of... yeah no that's not a very cheerful thing to do but honestly who though wants, andrew, not, to andrew asking what a burrito was was maybe one of the most, that's true. One of the most cheerful that's moments true. of my year okay so 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 gentlemen to to, to turn it to not a more serious note necessarily because driving with Derek is very serious. But um, uh, I will say that this year I have read more fiction than any year in my life. And um, two novels, David Copperfield and Kristen Lavrenstock. That's a fantastic book. Have just been the happiest things. Um, Kristen Lavrenstock's daughter... Um, people on Twitter pointed it out to me. Um, uh, it's unbelievable. It is a um, medieval Norwegian Catholic spiritual thriller. And if you can't get excited about those things, what in the world can you get excited about is kind of my point of view. Um, it's a really wonderful novel. But um, I did notice that Derek has been reading fiction yeah. as well. Yeah, no. Reading some Jane Austen. Yeah. I, and that actually makes me really cheerful. That makes me really happy because I because I feel like um, 
more theologians reading fiction in this world is actually just going to help the quality of our reflection and the quality of our work. And it's going to humanize us in ways that we all desperately need to be humanized. So read more fiction. Yeah, that, that was actually one I had considered mentioning. Um, I was kind of inspired partially in a few ways, just different, different little hints here and there. I've, I've always loved literature. I almost did. I almost studied English instead of philosophy in college. But once you did philosophy, I kind of hit the nonfiction trail and somewhat looked back. But I never looked back for serious lit most of the time. I would, I would jump in and out. But yeah, I read. I picked up Austin about three weeks ago, and I read Pride and Prejudice, and I loved it. Um, I think I'd always put it off because it was like a girl book, i.e. my girl, my sister had read it first, and so it was a girl book. Um, but yeah, that that was that was fantastic, and so I moved on to. Franny and Zoe with Salinger, which is way more angsty and college-ish, but you know, um, I do I do think that would be that would be an excellent addition to a lot of theologians or theolo- theology students' lives is bringing in that element of just get getting inside other people's heads more often, not inside their arguments <laughs> necessarily, but. Um, yeah, that, that empathetic and, and kind of humanistic element to uh, our thought, giving it depth and layers uh, beyond, you know, how many syllogisms I can craft or little exegetical points I can make, uh, which are both great, but still. So that's been a, that's been a fun point for me. Um, Andrew, Alistair, you got any, you got any cheerful moments? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've had, um, I was, it's a, felt like a serious one as well, but um. I think there've been a, a few. T- I've been involved in quite a lot more debate this year than I have in in, um, in previous years, and I feel I think I feel quite cheerful about in some ways about the way that things have gone in oddly in evangelicalism at large. I I, I think I've sort of had a cause to be a bit optimistic and excited about some things. I think there were things that genuinely made me really pleased about um, in in Britain. We had a couple of uh, pretty. Uh, definitive lines in the sand back in the spring when it there was the there was a world vision uh, thing that they the U-turn that they made there there was a debate I had with Steve Chalk followed by a decision the Evangelical Alliance made about their situation which was really good I felt I had a, a couple of discussions with him and and then Brian McLaren later and again felt really that there was some this is quite personal to me I suppose but some some reasons to be pleased about the church actually standing for certain things and making decisions about certain things and not just disappearing into a fudge and a funk um, and I was really chuffed about that about things around the Bible, things around ethics and sexuality and things which I, I just felt really positive about so that I mean, that's probably a bit more of a it's not a, a Christmas cheer topic in a way but I think somebody said what are you pleased about as a, at looking at the whole of 2014 I think I felt very encouraged by that um, and was actually, yeah, was really pleased about it. I've mentioned your driving already. And my personal highlight in terms of experience of the year was definitely the America trip where I saw both of you guys and went to conferences and spoke things, spoke at places and saw beautiful places. But I think in terms of the year as a whole, where I feel like things have just gone, where I definitely take where we are now relative to where we were a year ago on some of those issues. And I'm really, yeah, so I feel quite encouraged by that as well. Um, there's lots of lighter things which happen as well, but that'd be a good start. Alistair. For my year, there's not really been there's not been a lot of events because a lot of it has been intense study. I finished my I submitted my PhD at the end of September, and that was definitely a highlight. But after that, there was 
there's some friends of mine who live locally, and I mentioned this on my blog a while back, but they suggested that when I was when I was done, that we'd make a big cake together. So we set apart a weekend to make this huge cake, which was a model of the globe with all the countries drawn in. And within it, you had the core and then an outer layer and then the, the mantle. And it was placed on a base. And we spent the whole weekend decorating it while doing other things alongside it and just spending time together. And that sort of occasion, I mean, it's not, it wasn't, in some amazing experience in many respects but it was something that just condensed so many of the things that I'm thankful for over this past year for really good friendships for people taking an interest in you for completing my PhD all these sorts of things and they just seem to that seemed to distill the essence of them that particular weekend Wait, so if I'm understanding you right you made a globe cake? A globe cake, indeed. That was and how many how many pieces like it's an actual it's an actual globe like spherical a spherical cake yes you start off with an inner core and you have to bake each of these things separately so you make this hemisphere sort of core out of chocolate um sort of chocolate cake and then you put that core once it's baked you put that in another mixture we had a vanilla cake and it was colored slightly marbled and then did that again with a larger cake still, which was coloured bright red. And putting all these together, you had one whole hemisphere with three different layers to it. And then we did the same for the other and then put them together with icing, covered it with a cream um, crumb coating and then decorated it with all of the continents and nations. Oh, oh. This is the most fascinating episode that we've I, ever had. I, okay. I'm, I, so Alistair, I, I just am amazed. Alistair has done this. He also showed me article on, on, on Twitter, showed us articles that he admitted he had made a Cthulhu head mask for his, was it your nephew? It was one of it those. It was actually for my things. brother, but my nephew was wearing it in the picture. Oh, okay. Alistair, so, are, you, are you knitting now? Like you, you, you outed yourself as knitting during these episodes. Are you knitting at the moment? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's out. Oh, man. So, Alistair, so, um, I, I would like to... I'm knitting a jacket it. for a dog. Believe it or oh not. Oh, my God. As the kids say, pics or it didn't happen. I, I, I want to see pics We can of attach this, them to the post um, if you want. ...of this cake. Oh, man. This, this is right, absurd. I've, I've missed this. Oh, Al so, Alistair, I'm just going to point out, though... This is the essence of your He-Man patriarchalism is your knitting and your baking. Um, I know. Just, <laughs> just sends it over the edge there, and I can't. It, it's I was recently weight, described really. as a Mark Driscoll on steroids, and yes, <laughs> I thought uh, if only they knew. Um, um, that's that's so, fantastic. So, fellas, I do I do want to hear from you guys. I'm very curious to hear. Um, this is the season for uh, reflecting backwards, and you guys all read a lot. You probably read um, as much as anyone in this world. Um, I am interested to hear um, the best thing that you have read, book or otherwise, the thing that has stayed with you the most. Um, non- Van Hooser category. 
So <laughs> no bavink as well. Let's just rule that out. Well, well yeah, or bavink. Um, uh, something that that we haven't heard much from you. The the best the best things that you guys have read. Go. Andrew, you go first, just because. Wow. No, 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 no. I, wow. I'm thinking. That was. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm thinking. It's difficult. It's very difficult. Um, like you said, we. I think we all read a lot. I think, you know, out, we've got two guys with finishing up PhDs. One guy who's doing a MPhil. You finished up an MPhil at Oxford. That, that was probably a highlight for you. Um, and then I just, I just read too much, but. Oh, that's so difficult. Uh, you know, w one of the things, I, as much as all the theology, so you said, okay, no, Van Hooser, I already did my top five list on my blog. But one of the things was on, on my blog that I, the, the top five was this book. There was a couple of books, the age of, one of them was The Age of Atheist by Peter Watson. And, um, and then there's this other one. Uh, called Outside the Gates of Eden by Peter Bacon Hales. That that's a review supposed to come out, but they're both bits of uh, long range cultural history. And I just realized I really love, I really love cultural history and kind of longer sweeping narratives talking about the movements of, uh, just kind of shining a light on the on the broader movements of the culture that we we take a part of and. You know, the Age of Atheists does that with a long sweeping look from about Nietzsche to now of all the different t different ways we've tried to make meaning in the world. And and it was a very interesting. The, the man uh, Watson is is not a Christian, and so he's 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 touting this as a as an interesting good thing. Um, so as I'm reading this, he's he's sympathetically um, expounding various attempts to make meaning in a in a world that many see without God, but it, it was interesting because in a lot of ways it read like a, just a gallery of idols. Um, you just see the different ways that people kind of valorize and, and idolize things that are, that are creation. But at the same time, there's a lot of common grace in there. And so just seeing the range of human experience and seeing the range of human thought and artistic and literary and poetic endeavor, uh, and political, uh, political struggle for the good even if it's even oftentimes if it's misguided or uh, broken by sin uh, just the, these these kind of broader stories they, they stick with me and I, I really enjoy them they're not like happy reads you know but they're they're fascinating reads and uh, they I get I gaining an appreciation I love the pure theology I do it's my it's my bag it's my game but reading these kind of broader historical and cultural uh, analyses, um, they put on they put flesh on the world in a sense. Instead of looking at it at the structural bones, and I don't know if that's the best way of putting it. But so those couple of books were different than what I'm typically reading week to week, and for that reason, they they kind of stick out to me. So yeah. Okay, so can I, um, I actually, th that's interesting to me, Derek, because this is the first year that I've started to be highly skeptical of those kinds of architectonic 
uh, uh, narratives, as it were, about history and about ideas. Um, I mean, I, I, I have in the past loved reading things like Charles Taylor's Sources of the Self, which are, you know, these these massive overviews of here's how people thought way back when, and here's all these changes that have gone on and how we think now. And, and now I look at those and I think, um, well, one, I'm, I'm always, imp I'm impressed on one level because the amount of work that it takes to, um, master that many different figures to be able to make those kinds of claims. There's almost, there's almost a hubris involved. Um, but it also it also makes me skeptical because I you know I look at I do look at how hard it is to master one figure like um, I mean to pick a contemporary figure Oliver O'Donovan's work right to think through all the different facets and dynamics and to be able to say here's what Oliver O'Donovan says about the world and then to multiply that by a hundred to look. 2000 years and to chart these things, I think, man, that's, I'm, I just have a native skepticism towards those architectonic readings of histories and ideas. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we ought to avoid that. Well, and here's what I'll say in defense of the two books I listed, um, the age of atheists, he doesn't try and do quite the architectonic. He tries to do, um, a series of snapshots a sneer a series of okay this guy then this guy and this guy so you have like we'll, we'll look at the pragmatists and so we'll have some generic looks here here's some things that the americans were doing here's some things that was here's here's some spinoffs that happened post nietzsche and so he actually only looks at about 100 years and he gives you a bunch of snapshots and i i spotted some inaccuracies uh in a couple of figures that i knew about but there still is i think that there when, when you when you kind of have so Taylor gives you a big thesis. He's trying to prove over a period of about 500 years and the way they fit this big one or two theses. Something like Watson. Watson had a couple of theses, but he kind of pulled them together as kind of, hey, look at all this, and here's a conclusion I've come to. Not Here's my overarching um, analysis of all of these things, trying to fit them cleanly together in my architectonic um picture it's just like hey here's a variety of things that happened in the last 115 years isn't that interesting and here's a couple of things i gleaned from it so there's that and then you have with the other book there's you know there was a, there was a lot of close readings of particular texts that were kind of exemplars uh that i think stand on their own in terms of their un kind of unique interesting worthwhile uh, pictures of things and so I get the skepticism about something like a Taylor uh, big sweeping kind of Hegelian interpretation of all things uh, via your view from Canada but this I, I would still say that there's some some of these values some value to some of these ones that in a sense they're they are limited and they are they're humble in their I don't know. I I think there's a way of being sweeping and at the same time, not sweeping. There's, you know, the, the knowing you're you're providing snapshots. So yeah, uh, Andrew, Alistair, you guys got yeah. your own reads. My, well, it's a totally different kind of book. I think the book I've the the, the book that I've most enjoyed um, that's helped me the most, and I still haven't finished it, um, 
is a just a very much more sort of simple devotional book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, um, which I have just found so, so helpful. And it's a very different kind. It's not the, the intellectually stretching or stimulating type of work that's just not what it's a, a trying to be. It's just trying to teach people to pray. And I've just found it so helpful because I think I've I realized probably a year or two ago that my personal spirituality and particularly my prayer life are very actually fueled by reading books on prayer that I find I don't find I'm just reading a book on prayer and then thinking okay I'll try and get to that one day but I find that actually reading books on prayer helps me pray as I'm reading them and so it takes me much much longer to read them than it does most other things I would read I think there's lots of intellectually fascinating things I've read this year and lots of things that have really sort of stretched me and helped me think things through but actually to think about look at myself as a whole person and think what's done me the most good it's probably been that simple book on prayer just allowing myself to just think uh, relate childlike faith at the same time as um, sort of re repetitive prayers and spontaneous prayers and cries from the heart and much more systematic approaches to prayer and just thinking through the character of God in that way so it's a very different style of book um, I guess to, to what y you guys have been talking about but that's probably the one that's done me the most good um, and I found there's a lot of stuff I've read which I found really interesting too um, but, but I think that's probably the thing again if you use it under the theme of cheer what is the thing that brings me joy or brings me cheer in God um, the most at the moment is probably going through that so yeah that's a, a completely different kind of thing for, for me I don't have any critiques to make of that, just so you know. Oh, yeah, I, I've safe. always been skeptical of these architectonic approaches to prayer and all that stuff. Oh, man. Alistair. Alistair, what do you have? I find the most interesting books for me are always the ones that provide the most stimulating interlocutors. I'm not looking for a book that I agree with or that um, I'm amening all the way through, but a book that... I suppose, piques my interest in particular respects or gets me to think about something that I have not thought about before or sometimes presents a position that I think is quite wrong but which gets me to think about my own. I reread something that I've reviewed at length on my blog, um, Louis-Marie Chauvet's Symbol and Sacrament. That's definitely one that over the last, I suppose, three, four years now has been a quite steady interlocutor. I've thought about that book a lot and engaged with it in many ways within my PhD and in other contexts and I highly recommend it as a book for people who want to think seriously about the sacraments. Then other books I've read in the past year, um, reread Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind, um, cites the character of Christian scripture I thought was a superb book for just bringing to light when we talk about scripture often we don't pay enough attention to the fact that there are two testaments. And that is one issue that Sites really highlights within his book. And it's made me think about that particular feature of Scripture a lot more, um, how that functions within our understanding of what Scripture is. Um, Budrzeszewski's On the Meaning of Sex, another great book. Um, mm. That book is, is so wonderful. It has been so overlooked. It is amazing to me that that book does not have a wider audience because I think it's one of and the best. And it's written at a very I mean, accessible I level. I see people quote that all the time. I assumed it was quite widely read. I, I've seen it cited loads, but that may just be because I know you guys. I don't know. That might yeah. be it. Yeah, I've, I don't see it cited anywhere. I've seen it cited I in think, very few places, which has disappointed me because it is very reality, accessible. I think at this point, my, my, my perception of reality has been highly skewed 
by my friendship with you three over the last six months. So I think, you know, cutting off Alistair's list here, um, because Alistair, you've cheated at this point. You need to know that four or five books at least. <laughs> um, I will say one of the most interesting things that has brought me in it. This sounds so, it, this is absurd. And you're going to laugh once I, once I get to it, but actually this show, uh, these conversations with you guys have been one of the things that brought me a great deal of, of cheer throughout the year. I know. Aww. Aww. Oh, Derek. That's but terrible. It's terrible. It's, ter- it's terrible. But, uh, but no, but honestly, I've joked around, uh, you know, I kind of started the podcast to, to have friends to chat with about these kinds of things. But, but honestly, I think, and it hasn't even just been you guys, but just the challenge of, uh, intellectually engaging at these levels on a regular basis on, you know, going through the O'Donovan book like we did uh, earlier this year after, you know, Matt had to argue me into like, no, well, let's discuss a book. It'll be good. I'm like, no, it's going to be terrible. And, and then and then actually doing it. And it, and it was and it was a good thing. Um, just being able to engage at this kind of rigorous level and and uh, pursue these kinds of conversations for the sake of not just us just chatting over um you know over a pint or something just for our own sakes but also for the sake of our listeners and the church and just kind of some of the encouraging emails and and uh notes that we've i think we've all gotten i've gotten uh some from from the listeners who've come in in a sense that's that's been cool it's been a very uh good experience overall uh for for me intellectually and even spiritually and yeah, so so that was one thing that's brought me cheer this year. Guys? Well, I mean, there's nowhere to go after that other than down, right? Like, that's <laughs> pretty I mean, much. That's... <laughs> you could get in the car with me, and we could, you know. <laughs> I, that, 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 there is that. There is that. Oh, man. I will say... I will say, since I, I mentioned two books that I um, have loved, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say there is one other that has um, that surprised me at how much it has affected me and stayed with me, and that is, this is going to sound ridiculous, um, Spencer's The Fairy Queen. I started rereading it, and I've never read the whole thing all the way through. I've, I've been defeated multiple times. Um, this is the first time that I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing the prose. Um, Lewis somewhere says about Spencer's The Fairy Queen that just listening to it makes our souls better um, because the English is just so beautiful. And I have been amazed at how um, unbelievably enjoyable it is to sit and let those words sort of uh, marinate and to, to just speak that kind of, uh, middle English. It's absolutely beautiful. And, um, it's, it's not the sort of thing that I can go write blog posts about. It's not the sort of thing that, um, anyone is interested in other than a very narrow sort of sector of, of academics really. Um, and that's, and that's a shame to me because, um, because it is such wonderful, wonderful English and um, such beautiful 
beautiful concepts. Um, so my my 2015 aim is to finish that thing for the first time in my life to to read through the entire um, Fairy Queen. So I'm now on on public record. Listeners can hold me accountable. Um, but if anyone else is out there has read it um, and wants to or wants to pick it up and read it, let me know because I would love to have people to talk with about it. Can I just say that along those lines, one of the things I found particularly delightful this year is just the process of rereading a book, rereading a book that has maybe sedimented itself in your imagination over the years. One experience I had was um, rereading out loud um, The Wind in the Willows to my girlfriend. I'd not read it for a number of years and I just realised how much it meant to me and how much it had become part of my imagination. Now, this is a rather compromising thing to admit about myself, but when I was four years old, I used to run around the playground shouting poop, poop, um, imagining myself to be Toad of Toad Hall. But there is something about that story (laughs) that has become part of me. And um, rereading it, I just realised how delightful it was. And certain things about the way it's written that I've not noticed before. Um, I might read a passage quickly now as an example. This is Mole walking along by the river. He thought his happiness was complete when, as he meandered aimlessly along, suddenly he stood by the edge of a full-fed river. Never in his life had he seen a river before, this sleek, sinuous, full-bodied animal, chasing and chuckling, gripping things with a gurgle and leaving them with a laugh, to fling itself on fresh playmates that shook themselves free and were caught and held again. All was a shake and a shiver, glints and gleams and sparkles, rustle and swirl, chatter and bubble. The mole was bewitched, entranced, fascinated. By the side of the river he trotted as one trots, when very small, by the side of a man who holds one spellbound by exciting stories. And when tired at last he sat on the bank, while the river still chattered on to him, a babbling procession of the best stories in the world, sent from the heart of the earth to be told at last to the insatiable sea. And rereading passages like that just reminded me of how much that book in my childhood formed longings and um, imaginations that still stay with me and have shaped my way of viewing the world. Hmm. Well, that, that to me is an excellent note to kind of end on as we, we kind of think about this year and thinking about this, the way even this year has shaped and formed our, our longings and our desires. Um, yeah. With that's, if that's okay with you guys, we'll go ahead and, and wrap it on up and say, is this our, is this our last podcast for the year? This, this is our last podcast and we should make a special mention our, our deep and undying gratitude to everyone who has listened uh, we uh, just very directly we are very grateful that uh, people have put up with our ramblings and um, that we really do hope that people have been edified by this and I mean I'm I'm just very very grateful that people take us seriously enough to listen for 35 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever we do every uh, couple weeks or so. Uh, so thank you, listeners. We we love you guys. We love hearing from you. Um, and we are very, very grateful for all the support that you have given to us. Yeah, indeed. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Merry New Year. What you, wait, hold on. You guys got me. It's Merry Christmas. <laughs> what? Ah. 
America. Do it right, Brett. Come Gosh. on. Okay, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. What do you guys say for the New Year? Happy New Year, too? That's repetitive. Sorry. <laughs> All right. It's really bad. Uh-huh. Derek, close us out for real. All right. Yeah, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all. Blessings.